Bible. Yeah, let's open up to Genesis 4. Man, what a power-packed service. I might need a seat. Stool. All right, Genesis 4, verse 1. Not necessarily what you would get on Independence Day, but here we go. Now, Adam, Adam knew Hava, Eve, his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Very interesting piece in the Hebrew that the phrase there, and then she bore, she bore again, um, is a signi- signifies the potentiality that they are in fact twins. Okay? Because a lot of, most of the time they'll say, like, and then so and so knew his wife and they had another child. But the fact that they don't say knew his wife, right? The knowing part is not there. That uh, it may be indicative that in fact that she gives birth. And then gives birth soon after, right? There's a, there's, there are twins actually in the womb. At least that's what uh, some of the theologians, or really, I can't even say theologians, biblical scholars and the rabbis teach. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Jealousy, death, first murder on planet earth. First murder in the history of the cosmos. Right there. Keep that in your mind. Now, since it's July 4th, we're going to get a little historical. Is that okay? All right. So today, 200, remember the story though. Today, 245 years ago, America was born. A celebration today. The question here is, what are we celebrating? Give me some answers to that. What are we celebrating today? Independence. Good. Anything else? Any other words we want to use? Freedom. Liberty. Self-government. Celebration of rebellion against tyranny. Okay. All really kind of cool stuff. Um, There's a lot to be said about today. And there, there are physical things, of course. And then there is the spiritual. 
You know, uh, America, uh, it has been said by the historians that America is an experiment. It really is an experiment. There's only been two nations. Only two nations in the history of man. Where at the foundation of their inception has been a covenant with God. Many of the founding fathers were believers. Many of them were deists. Uh, but the reality here is, particularly in the Northeast, the first people that came here, particularly up in Massachusetts, right, say that this shall be a nation, a city on a hill devoted to Christ, a beacon of light. Only two nations in the history of man have started their nation that way. One, Israel. Two, United States of America. In fact, uh, in Hebrew, the Israelis, they, they call our nation Harsot Habrit, the lands of the covenant. God's people call us that. We are the lands, the states of the covenant, meaning the constitution, but I believe there's a spiritual principle. That covenant that our early, early Puritan, particularly settlers, said we're going to do. And so, all right, what are we celebrating here? We're celebrating liberty, we're celebrating freedom, we're celebrating maybe the fact of the Bill of Rights and all this beautiful American kind of jargon. But I believe when I was preparing for this that the Lord was saying, actually, we're missing something. Really, what we should be, what we should be celebrating, this is, brings us to the, the, the spiritual component. What we should be and what we're really celebrating today is the God-given DNA of free will. If you really pare it all down in philosophy and government and all this kind of stuff, it really comes down to, on July 4th, there are a people who exercise their free will. I am a man made in the image of God, and other men and other governments should not be taking away my God-given rights. And I have the free will given to me by God, by our creator, to govern myself as an individual before a holy God. Free will. The most beautiful and powerful thing I believe that the Lord has given us. July 4th, a government, a nation by the people, for the people, of the people. The Constitution of the United States actually even emphasizes this notion of free will. We, the people, in order to form a more perfect union. What we have here, I know this isn't a history class, but I laid a foundation of the spiritual principles. We, the people that are to be governed, are the people who will set up the government. We, in our own free will, are born free men before our Creator, and we desire to give up some of our freedoms in order to form a more perfect union together as a community. No king, no person shall do that for us. We ourselves do that. Our actual governmental structure, both the Declaration and the Constitution, without boring you too much, are emphasizing the notion that you as a human being have a beautiful gift, free will. 
And a king 2,000 miles away cannot take that free will away from you because it's been given to you by God. All right. So today, Liberty, 4th of July, is really, in some regards, a teaching on free will. Not really a common concept. Or teaching outside of seminary, I think. Free will. You, as an individual. I want to emphasize this. Because too many of us look to the Father through our church. Too many people look through the Father through our family. Too many people look to the Father through the pastor. No, you, as an individual, have the individual right of decision-making. Especially young folks, you've got you to grab a hold of this because this is like almost disappearing. No, you have responsibility. You have an, as an individual, have the individual right to make a decision at any given point. The highest of high, the lowest of low, the one thing that no one can ever, ever take away from you is your choice. Right? We, we know some of this stuff, right? Declaration of, of Independence, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator or our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is no earthly king, no earthly government can take these things away, the right to make a choice. The right to individual responsibility of your actions and how you live your life and how you shall be governed. Now these forms of free will, of choice, are manifested both physically and spiritually throughout time. The physical, political manifestation of your choice of free will by the time of 1776, has actually largely been forgotten. Right? Really, the choice of, or rather the, the freedom of choice and the freedom of, of self-government really had been lost since the times of the early days of the Roman Republic. Now it's the year 1776, and we spend all of this time being governed by kings and queens. At least if you're looking through the context of Western Europe. They've been telling you how to live. They've been telling you what to do. They have been giving you your rights. It's been a very long time in the history of mankind, almost one, a little over, almost 2,000 years, whereby people have never or have not had the physical manifestation of being able to exercise true free will in a physical governmental structure. In 1776, the founders are saying, no, 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 we're bring that back. Now, spiritually, it's this. By the 18th century, actually spiritually, it has been a very long time. In fact, one could argue it's been mostly lost. What do I mean by this? Really, I would argue since the time of the apostles and since the time of the early, early, early church, mankind through Christendom, largely started to lose the notion of being an individual before the Lord. It's the Pope. 
It's the bishops. It's the theologian. It's the church. It's the this. It's the that. It's been a long time coming since the, since the people realized that you are an individual before your God. Not a church before God. Not the bride of Christ before God. Yeah, those are all things. But you are an individual before God. You and I will sit on a judgment seat. Not your church. This concept that you have the breath of God in you since the time of Adam and you are an individual responsible before the Lord has largely been forgotten by the year 1776. So 245 years ago, something happens. The physical manifestation of government and the spiritual manifestation of the free will actually come together and converge. From the governmental side of things, this nation is saying you are looked at as an individual. You're not just a citizen. You're not just a member of a collective society. You're an individual with individual rights. You are not a widget. You're not a number. You're not a servant of a government. You're an individual before God. What do I mean by this? Come on. We hold these truths to be self-evident before our creator. Look, prior to this, you have kings and queens who are ruling you. Kings and queens who are giving you your rights. Our founding fathers say, no. Each man, each woman is an individual before God. No king, no queen is above any individual. These ideas, uh, in fact, were not formed in a vacuum. These ideas actually began in the early stages of the Roman Republic. It then got a little bit of a research uh, during the, uh, the, the, the philosoph period of England and France. For those of you who studied such things, this is Voltaire and Locke and Rousseau and Hobbes and Machiavelli and Descartes. But it's not just those brilliant, learned men. It's also from a bunch of early American farmers with extensive libraries. Jefferson, Washington, Madison, Adams, Franklin, who wasn't a farmer, but see what happens when you don't have Netflix? You start a revolution. But here, here's, here's the spiritual piece, because I, you know, I don't want to just lose it on the 4th of July and all the governmental America kind of stuff. It's this. Many historians argue that this notion of the understanding of free will and being an individual before God in a governmental sense could not happen if before it, or rather I should say, it could not happen unless something happened before this time period. You can't have an understanding of individual rights. You can't have an understanding of free will, of the equality of mankind. In a governmental sense, unless you have what right before it? Anyone know? The first great awakening. Historians will say, actually, the first great awakening is what caused the American Revolution. The first great awakening is what caused people to rebel against a tyrannical king. First great awakening, a spiritual revival in England and in America is what laid down the foundations for the understanding that I have a free will and I exercise my individuality. 
What did the first great awakening do? It did a lot of things, but really what it did is it really shook people. You are an individual. God has your name, bro. God knows your sin, sister. You are an individual before God. And it creates a shaking. Literally. Quakers shaking. Create a movement. A spiritual awakening. What? 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 I'm an individual before my maker? And this comes from some very, very powerful, powerful sermons. John Edwards. How can you expect to dwell with God forever if you so neglect and forsake him here? This is all, these are all sermons and quotes that are coming before the American Revolution. Right? You, you can hear and feel this notion of free will, of understanding. How can you, not you the church, not you the family, not you the pastor, how you as an individual, how can you even expect to dwell with God forever if you're neglecting him as an individual now? Wake up. Oh, okay. There's nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. Right, the backslidden. The only reason why you're not in hell is because God has grace and letting you live so you have time to repent. His mere pleasure for you is keeping your heartbeat. Repent now. What do you mean repent now? I was baptized when I was a baby. No, no, no. You are an individual before God with a free will. You need to make a decision now, Edwards is saying. This is lost. You have to understand. This has been lost largely in the church since the apostles. You understand. It's all, I mean, obviously we have, we have movements. We have the Moravians and all that. But by and large, like Christianity is a culture thing. But now with the first great awakening, it's like, no, 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 you as an individual need to be right with God. Edwards, the way to heaven is ascending. We must be content to travel uphill, though it be hard and tiresome and contrary to the natural bias of our flesh. Life is hard. Freedom is hard. Free will is hard. But you know what? Just like a soldier, a true and faithful Christian does not make holy living an accidental thing. It is his great concern as the busyness of the soldier is to fight, so the busyness of the Christian is to be like Christ. Come on, man. These are the sermons. These are the things that are being read all throughout the colonies. You mean I have a free will and I need the grace and the blood of Jesus? It's not just a cultural thing? Yes. You haven't heard that for about a thousand years. But in the first great awakening, yes, you have a free will. Make a decision now. Are you going to serve God or are you going to go to hell? Come on, sinners in the hand of an angry God. Now, okay, what am I saying? This type of notion that I have a sense of duty, I have a sense of responsibility. I, I, not we, I, not a king, I, not a government, I am held responsible before my God sets forth a motivation and a spiritual atmosphere that is then going to naturally spill over into the physical realm of independence, governmental wise. But the spiritual comes before the governmental. Right? You want to change the government of the United States? Man, don't be praying about the government. Start praying about revival on earth. Right? The first great awakening gave birth to this, 
physical independence. This isn't Dave. This is like historians saying this. Because it changes the atmosphere. What's going on here, right? What, what they're saying in this first great awakening is the power of the individual before God, largely lost since the first century. You are an individual responsible. You are an individual responsible before the Lord. Not your church, not your pastor. You will stand. Each and every one of you, including myself, will stand. Your mom and dad are not going to stand for you. I'm not going to stand for you. You are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. <laughs> so not Western church. <laughs> Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. It's like the opposite of seeker-friendly. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are all well-known to God, and I also trust all well-known in your consciousness. We all stand before him. Liberty, independence, whether it's in a nation-state or in the spirit, what do we do? What do we do with the free will? This is some of those older folks get it. Oh, Lord Jesus. There's such a change in the spirit on planet Earth. Mm. There's such a change in the spirit in America, and in fact, there's such a change in the spirit in the church. With a free will, what do we do? With a free will and with liberty comes something, comes a responsibility. See, men and women who are slaves to a government, they have no responsibility. Men and women who are slaves to sin have no responsibility. Free men, free women, they have responsibility. See how easy this is? It's not my fault. I'm not bearing responsibility for my sin. It's this thing's fault. No, you're a free man. Free men walk with responsibility. But when we have a culture and we have a generation that are being taught a different narrative, it's not my fault. No, it's your fault, bro. No, 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 it's this. This happened to me or this happened to me. I understand. Are you a free man or are you not? I'm a free man before God. I bear the responsibility. It's being lost. But it's also historically rare. Historically and politically, it's rare. You have to understand that. It's literally 245 years old. And time before it and time after it seems to be that we are losing the notion of individual responsibility as a human being and also the individual responsibility in the spirit. 
It was given to us through the apostles. It was given to us through the founding fathers. Now everyone just wants to do the opposite. It's not my fault. No, man, free men can't blame other people because you're free. I got an amen or something? Those who are free bear responsibility. What's the responsibility, Dave? Liberty, freedom. You're talking about responsibility. Oh, there is responsibility. What is the responsibility of free will in the spirit? And I think in the natural too, but we'll talk about the spirit. Well, the responsibility is the Hebrew word temshol. Temshol, found in Genesis 4. Let's go back. Genesis 4, we'll summarize. Verse 4, Abel also brought of his firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? This is powerful. I don't know if you guys ever picked this up. God knows Cain's thought. Cain has not committed the murder yet. God intercedes the actions of Cain and says, why are you doing this? Why has your countenance fallen? There is still what? There's still time. There's still time. Don't let it rule over you. Don't let the sin rule over you. There's still time before you act it out, Cain. Years ago, um, I, I read a, 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 a book called East of Eden uh, by John Steinbeck. Some of you may know the book. Some of you may know the movie, East of Eden, with the, the lovely James Dean. Right? East of Eden, a phenomenal book by uh, John Steinbeck. One of America's the least, one of the, probably the, ah, it's argued Steinbeck and Hemingway, I don't know, 20th century American writers. And he uses a story of two American brothers to, to essentially re-depict the story of Cain and Abel. It's a very powerful book. East of Eden, right? That's where Cain is, is, is set. He's, he's, he's sent east of Eden. Because you've got the Garden of Eden, then you have the surrounding area of Eden, and then outside of that is east of Eden. Okay? And I'm reading this book, and it hit me like a ton of books. Uh, a ton of bricks. <laughs> There's a scene. It's so weird. Only in America can you do this. They're out in California. There is a, 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 a Chinese guy who is in the story. And they're talking about the desire of man. And they consult this like Chinese philosopher. Like what would Confucius say and all this kind of stuff. The Chinese guy gives his little rhetoric and then he's like, well, I talked to a I talked to one of the Jewish rabbis in, in, in San Francisco. It's like turn of the century. And, I, and this Chinese philosopher in the book is like, I really liked how the Jews explain this scenario of desire. And this, this is taken from uh, the book East of Eden. The King James translation of Genesis 4 
says, thou shalt, thou shalt have dominion over sin. Thou shalt, meaning that men will surely triumph over sin. Cain, you shall triumph over sin. But the Hebrew word, timshol, thou mayest, that gives a choice. See, the Hebrew, where it says, Cain, you should rule over it. You shall rule over your inclinations for your brother. In the Hebrew, it's timshol, you may. You may rule over it. Well, for if you may, it also is true that you may not. See, that makes a man. For in his weakness and in his filth and in his, mur and his murder of his brother, he has still the great choice. He can choose his course and fight it through and win. What we see here in Genesis 4 is really the manifestation of the idea of the free will. Any time a sin, any time a thought comes to you, it's not that you will have dominion over it. Not at all. It means you have a choice to have dominion over it or a choice not to have dominion over it. It's on you. It's your free will. It's in your liberty. It's in your freedom. And then, therefore, you have a responsibility to choose and to choose rightly. I want to trample over serpents and demons and this. No, 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 no. You're not going to trample over them. You have a choice to trample over them. We have a choice not to. It's your free will. Will you or will you not? Now Steinbeck later on says this, here in the Cain and Abel story, here is individual responsibility and the invention of conscience. You can if you will, but it is up to you. This little story from the Bible turns out to be one of the most profound in the world. I always felt it was, but now I know it is. The creation of you having a conscience, of you having a free will, you will either choose to sin, or you will choose not to sin. But, but, but the enemy made me do it. No, you are not a slave to the enemy. You are a free man. Free men bear responsibility. Free men and women have to make a choice. We get to choose. What will you choose? Who will you choose? Cain chose poorly. Come on, we, we, know, we know this. I, I just taught on this last week or whatever it was, Romans 6. Uh, Jamie, can you come on down, please? Romans 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. Verse 18. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Verse 22, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Romans 6, Paul is essentially reestablishing to you, you have a choice. At any given point, you have a choice. I have read extensively about survivors from concentration camps, Right? They're like, they took everything away from us except for one thing, my free will to make a decision. I can be dark and pessimistic and whatever, or I can be hopeful and believing and smile even when they're coming for me in a concentration camp. It doesn't matter what any man can take, t 
take from you. He can take everything from you. The only thing you really have, and that's what's so beautiful about it, the only thing you really have, people, your house can be taken away, your kids, your loved ones, your career, your nation, your political rights, everything can be taken away. The only thing that your life can be taken away, the only thing that can't never be taken away from you is your choice, your free will. It's the only thing you really have. Everything else is on the peripheral. Everything else, in fact, is earthly. The only thing in that narrative that is heavenly is a gift that God gave Adam and Eve when he breathed his life inside of you. You have a choice. You have temshol. You may or you may not. That's all you have. And that's why that is the most beautiful thing, because it's the only thing you really have that you get to give to the Lord. What do you get to give to the Lord? The only thing you really have, money? Money can be taken away, please. God can get more money. What God wants is your choice. He wants your temshol. It's the only thing a man has. It's the only thing a woman has. And Cain failed. With our free will, we can either curse or we can praise. Right? James 3, 9 says the power of the tongue. With the same tongue, you curse your brother, but you also praise God. I'm here to tell you that there's something much more profound than that. There's something even bigger than your tongue. It's your free will. It's your temptation. What will you do with your free will? Will you curse one and yet praise another? What shall you do with your choice? 2 Corinthians 3.17 says it this way. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unfailed face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. How beautiful this! Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But what is the liberty? What is the freedom? What is the choice? We like to fill it with so many things, it's comical. Oh, I have the freedom and the liberty to do this and do that and do that. Come on, people. What does the scripture say? You have the liberty now, since you are no longer a bondage to sin, you have the liberty to be what? He tells you in the context, to be transformed to the image of his son. That is what we have been given the liberty for. Not that you could sin and ask for grace. Not that you could just do whatever you want. It, no, 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 no. You have been given liberty so that you have free will. So you can choose to be transformed in the image of Messiah. What is the freedom? The freedom is that you get to choose. You get to choose to no longer sin. Why don't we stand? I want you right now to get this. I know it's been a little longer service, I think. Next time, next time you're up against the ropes, next time you're dealing with something, I want you to hear this word, Tem Shol. Tem Shol. You may 
or you may not. You may or you may not. It's up to you. Even all the way back in the Older Testament, this day I call heaven and earth as witness against you. Woo! This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you hear this? There is a choice. You either choose life or you choose death. You choose life in your mind. You choose life or death in the spirit. And so I'm telling you with my temptation, with my free will that I as an individual have, I choose Jesus. With my free will, I choose to take the higher road. With my free will, I choose life, not death. I choose health, not sickness. It's a choice. With my free will, I, I choose to listen to what God says about me and not what my, the enemy is trying to convince me of. You choose life or you choose death. With my temptation, I choose my individuality before God to move and impact the community, to love my brother, to love my God, to lay down my life, to surrender to the cross. With my free will, I choose to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. So this Independence Day, this July 4th, I just told you what I'm choosing to do with my free will. What are you going to do with yours? Father, I pray right now that there would be a spirit that would fall in the room. That we just come up against the spirit that is trying to make its way into our nation. And into our generations. It's not my fault. I'm not bearing responsibility. Father, we just declare right now, Tim Scholl. Next time a, a high thought comes to you. Next time a difficulty comes to you. Next time sin comes knocking on your door. You remember the words of God unto Cain. Tem Shoal, Cain, you may cave to it or you may not cave to it. It's up to you. Bear responsibility, O son of Adam. The breath of God is inside of you. When our countenance falls, when things get difficult, there's a choice. Choose life or choose death. Choose what God says or choose what your mind says. It's the only thing we really, really, really get to give God. Our free will. Father, we thank you that in this nation, for the most part, we're allowed to exercise our free will. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifices of the peoples who gave their lives and their time and their energy to make sure that this nation would be one where we can exercise the free will. 
But Lord, I pray from, the, from my spiritual belly, Lord, that the people of God will waken up and remember again that they're an individual before you. It's the most beautiful, precious gift that we can ever use. The only thing we ultimately really have our choice. Have a wonderful 4th of July. Hope to see you Wednesday at prayer, if not on Sunday. Be blessed this week as we spend some time being in His presence. If we can have the altar team come down. just want to encourage you if there are whether, whether there's elements of choice, not being able to choose appropriately, come on down, receive some prayer. Be honest, if there's anything else you want some prayer for, please come down.